You're listening to Standing Before the Mass podcast with Chris Heaton, sponsored by Newport Nautical Supply. Hi, folks. Welcome to the latest episode of the podcast. My guest for this episode is Marcello of La Gondola Providence, Inc. Marcello is the second owner of the business who came to the job during his college years. He is very well traveled and extremely knowledgeable about the culture, history, and construction of Venetian gondolas. Marcello gives us his history with the company, how he met the original owners, and where he's taken it. We talk about the inevitable changes that have come during the pandemic and what the future holds. La Gondola Providence, Inc. takes couples and small groups of people in a traditional gondola on the Providence River Canals in downtown Providence, Rhode Island. Without knowing anything about the gondolas, the trip was a surprise planned by my wife, I immediately knew I was on a wood boat from that first step aboard. I was impressed with the stability and that it had an unmistakable feel of being a traditional craft. At one point, he references former Providence Mayor Buddy Cianci. For my listeners outside the U.S., or even Rhode Island for that matter, just search Buddy Cianci on the internet and maybe crack open a cold one because you're in for a ride. In this case, the former mayor was an early and perhaps the first, only after the founders, supporter of this downtown experience. We also mentioned Waterfire Providence. That's an event, or a series of events, that has unfortunately been suspended as a result of the pandemic. Barnaby Evans is the creator of Waterfire and someone with whom I also hope to have as a guest on this podcast. In addition to the experience on the water and the construction of the boats, we also talk a bit about the singing and musical components to this experience. You can learn more about Marcello and his gifted team by visiting gondolari.com. I hope you enjoy. Good to see you again. Yes, thank you. Thank you for uh, joining me. Okay, uh, no problem. Thanks for having me. I'm thrilled to be here. So your name is, is it Marcello or Marcello? Uh, Marcello. The... Marcello. So Marcello would be for Spanish or Portuguese. Okay. The Italians would say it with a soft C. With a soft C. Yeah. And the, your your company is La Gondola. La Gondola Providence Inc. Yep. Right. How long have you been doing this? I've been rowing for 21 years. Wow. Uh, How did you get 21 started? 21 years on the 4th of July. So I got started, it was the summer after my junior year of college. And the year before, I had worked in a warehouse. And so I was looking for, you know, something like that for several work. You know, each year my parents would say, we need X thousands of dollars. You're not going back to Lehigh. And <laughs> I was at the first temp agency on my list. And she didn't have anything well-paying enough for me to go back to school. But I happened to mention having joined the crew team. And she thinks for a second, and she said, crew means rowing. And I said, yes, it does. And she said, well, I was at a job fair at Providence College a couple weeks ago, and there was a company looking for gondoliers. I said, sign me up. It's my dream job. And we searched and searched for the, for the number. Now, this was so long ago that she didn't have internet on her computer. So we're looking through a hard copy of the yellow pages trying to find the company. And this is where, if I had millennials on board, you know, I have to explain to them what the yellow pages were. Right. Book. You, you may remember from your grandparents' house, you know, being high enough to sit at the table and stuff. Anyway, um, long story short, we never found the number, but I said, don't worry, I'll find it. And I went home, I called Providence City Hall. I got bounced around to a number of departments until they put me through to Mayor Cianci's office. 
And Mayor Cianci, of course, you know, had been instrumental in the company starting a couple of years before. They knew the number right off the bat. So I called the number, the voice on the other side said, you're hired, you come down and start training tomorrow. Wow. And I got down there and it was my boss and I in two boats. And the guy he had trained the previous year hadn't worked out. So he needed somebody as soon as possible. And I was it. How big was the operation at that point? It was just the two of us. Yeah. Uh, I trained for about a month. It was early June when I started. I trained for about a month. And my first trip was the 4th of July. So nice and easy to remember. All right. And uh, yeah, so that's how I, I remember my anniversary. And yeah, it was actually just us for seven seasons. And then the, the two of us in two boats, and we just kind of hoped that nobody got sick or hurt or anything like that. And he ended up buying a third boat the year before I bought the company from them. So you have three boats now? uh, We have six boats now, six and a half. Mm -hmm. There's one that may never see water again. (laughs) Um, But yeah, right now we have three gondolas on the water, plus the Sondalo, two gondolas at the shop, um, which will probably not end up in the water this season. I don't think we'll end up being busy enough for it. Uh-huh. And then, um, you know, one more that's a project. What what are they made of and, and where are they made? Six of the seven boats that we have were made in Venice, but mm-hmm. all of them were owned by other Americans before they came to us. Okay. And in Venice, they're all handmade. They takes about a thousand man hours to build one. And they use a number of different types of wood. Cedar, I believe, for the planking, but that's kind of because cedar is very prevalent on the Italian peninsula. There's a type of fir that grows at the foot of the Alps that's, I think, stronger than a normal fir is. I believe they use that for the ribs. Mm -hmm. Then, you know, something like pine or mahogany for the trim. Uh, Romino, which I think is just ramen in English, Mm. for the oars some sort of fruit wood or nut wood, like pear or walnut for the oarlocks, um, that sort of thing. And our last boat, which was actually the first one operated here in Providence, was, we believe, the first authentic one ever built in America. My old bosses went to Venice on their honeymoon. They came back with the plans for a gondola to be built, and they had it built up in Manchester, Mass., uh, not mass produced. This guy, as I understand it, was, you know, kind of like an exotic boat builder. If you went to him with a set of plans of something he'd never built before, right. he would build it, but he'd only build one. You know, wow. wasn't interested in, in doing a bunch of them. So, and that boat is actually really cool too because it's not only is it we think the first authentic ever built in America, which that's pretty cool, but more significant. It, they got the plans from a naval museum mm-hmm. instead of from a gondola builder. So the plans actually predate the modern plans. They probably fit somewhere in between 1850 and about 1910. So that boat might be the only one in the world that is on the water right now built from that set of plans, which is pretty cool. Wow, that's fantastic. And do, do you yeah. hold the plans? Do you have possession of them? I don't have those plans. Oh. I wonder if I could track them down from my old bosses. I, I could probably get them from the Naval Museum, to be honest with you. Okay, yeah. so they are still available somewhere if you needed yeah. to expand. Yeah, The really the only way that you can tell it's something different is 
standing on the boat looking at it, that one is about six inches wider. Mm -hmm. And looking at it compared to a modern one, it's more barge like it kind of rides lower in the water. So mm -hmm. around the 19 teens, as motorboats started to take over Venice, the gondolas ceased to be used for anything practical like they were for hundreds of years. And they became mostly for tourists and even then mostly for couples. So they slimmed them down by that six inches right. and they made them more banana shaped. So they increased the, the rocker on the boat. So, so that rocker shape was a more a later rendition. Yeah, early 20th century. Hmm. Where is it? How much how much do they weigh or for my nautical crowd what's the displacement of a gondola? I would guess that the Italian ones that we have, the more narrow ones are probably around 1000 pounds and mm -hmm. then that larger one maybe around like 12 to 1300. They move along quite well, smartly for the weight. They're really remarkably efficient. Well, so the reason why we know that those old plans post-date 1850 is that's about when asymmetry was introduced to the boats. Mm -hmm. So for 800 years or more, the gondolas were symmetric, and they were always rowed in tandem, there was a master rowing in the stern and an apprentice, usually a family member, like a son or a nephew or something, rowing in the bow. And as the story goes, somewhere around 1850, there was a recession in Venice and somebody came up with the brilliant idea that they could save themselves half the gondolier's wages by firing all the bowmen. So all the apprentices lost their jobs in uh. the recession. And then Kind of figuratively, the next day, all the masters found out that it was a lot harder to row a symmetric gondola alone than it had been in tandem. Ah, right. So the foremost gondola builder of the time was tasked with kind of re-engineering the boat and seeing if he could make it more efficient for a single person. And so what he did was he shortened starboard side, the side off of which the oarlock and the oar go, and he lengthened port. So on the modern gondolas, it's 24 centimeters, so a full 10 inches uh, longer on port than starboard. He also introduced a list to starboard as well. So when the boat is just sitting there, you'll notice that it's listing slightly to starboard to compensate for one extra person's weight always being on port. Ah, so it, regardless if somebody's left-handed or right-handed, you always have the oarlock mounted on one side. On the same yeah, side. Or, yeah, the oar is always off of starboard side on the gondolas. I'm not sure if that's the case for every Venetian boat. Mm. Um, and the Sondolo that we have is asymmetric, but there are oar locks on either side. You can actually row it balasana, so two oars, uh, one going off of either side, ah. which is pretty cool. Uh, something that we don't get to practice very often, but it's a lot of fun. Now, who oversees, um, in terms of licensing, do you have a captain's license? I do not have a captain's license. It's not required so, for that? No. We fall under the same rules as whitewater rafts. Oh, yeah. And there's another, there's another uh, kind of subcategory. Mm. But being a not self-propelled vessel, because that is technically a motorized craft, being a vessel under oars, we okay. do not need to have a captain's license as long as we carry fewer than six passengers or six sure. or fewer passengers on right. board. You know, 
adhere to some other, you know, basic rules as well. And uh, well, other than this situation with COVID, uh, you they handle up to six passengers plus the gondolier, or yep, fewer. And we can still carry six. Yeah, um, right now, the, but the trip is always private, so mm. it's a nice. In that sense, it's really a nice social distancing thing to do because it's all of your people, mm-hmm. you know, which I assume, you know, you already have close contact with and, you know, aren't particularly concerned about catching COVID from them. And we are standing more than six feet away where mm-hmm. our spot is relative to the closest people in the lounge. And six or feet up. <laughs> yep, exactly. Yep. So, you know, the hypotenuse of the triangle makes it even longer, right? Right. So, <laughs> Although, you know, we are kind of breathing. Yeah, it's it's been interesting. Um, we were delayed by two months this season. Normally, we would have started in early April. Mm-hmm. Uh, first weekend of April, I think, would have been the 5th. And we didn't get to start until June the 1st with phase two of Revalance reopening. Mm-hmm. But, you know, very thankful to at least be on the water. And sure. we're getting by. It's certainly could be better, but it could be a lot worse as well. I think we're we're taking as many precautions as we can, um, keeping people safe. You know, there's sanitizer at the dock for the guys to use all the time if they're, you know, handling glasses, you know, getting out the wine biscuits that we serve on board and you know, we disinfect the lounge. You saw you saw right. us do so for, for your trip as well. We disinfect mm. the lounge kind of in front of everybody just so they see it happening. Mm. We're wearing our masks the entire time. You know, right. it's and it's outside, you know, which, you know, the, the authorities have said is a, is a better thing to be than inside. Other than this year, perhaps, or maybe it's not different. How long is the season? I think you, you might have covered that already. We'll be, yeah. So we, we already lost two months at the beginning of the season, losing mm-hmm. April and May. So we started in early June this year. Normally it would be early April. And normally we would go to early November. But we'll probably just go to Halloween this mm. year. You know, let's just back it off by a week or so. There's a, a couple who want to get married on board on Halloween. Oh, so boy. That'll probably be our, our, last, our last night. Yeah. She, It'll be a small wedding said, party. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. It's planning on being pretty small. But she said, you know, they're going to dress up as a Phantom of the Opera. Uh, oh, excellent. So, yeah, it should be a pretty interesting one. I hope it, I hope it goes down. I hope it doesn't get derailed by anything crazy. Now there's uh your dock space is was quite interesting once you know it was easy to find but there's an interesting story behind that dock and how it came about. Yep. So the story of the dock ties into my bosses wanting to start the company. So originally my bosses, my old my former employers who were from Fairhaven, Massachusetts used to go down to Marco Island in Florida and they got the idea for the gondolas to operate down there for the winter season to give them more time down there and from looking at the canals on the island. So they went to Venice on their honeymoon, like I mentioned. They came back with the planes. They had the boat built up in Manchester. And they're all ready to go down in Florida in January of 1997, up here visiting relatives for the holidays. She goes into uh, labor. Uh, almost two months early, and has the baby at women and infants, uh, very small. You know, she was two and a half pounds. She's doing oh, great. Great kid. Yeah. Uh, everything is perfectly fine, but obviously she was 
very small, very young. And they obviously weren't going down to Florida now with a mother recovering from an emergency C-section and a baby in the NICU. And so um, my old boss went to the mayor's office and said, hey, I'd like to start a gondola company. And Yancey says, that sounds like a fantastic idea. What do you need? And my boss said, well, we need a dock. And the mayor says, done. When can you start? So instead of starting down there in January, we started up here in May of 1997. And the kind of epilogue to that story is the mayor, after he got out of uh, spending five years in a federally funded uh, gated community, as he's fond of calling it, <laughs> ended up um, becoming the talk show host, afternoon talk show host on our local radio station, right? And it was this one afternoon where I just happened to be listening. I would listen if I was in the van uh, driving around. And basically the theme of the conversation is it's better to ask for forgiveness than permission. And so he says, take the gondolas, for example. When they wanted to start a gondola company in Providence, we didn't have a dock for them. So, you know, if we had, you know, waited for the Coastal Resources Management Council and the Army Corps of Engineers and everybody else that we had to get permits from, we, uh, we'd still be waiting for a gondola company. So we just put the dock in. And then we got all the permits for it afterwards. So <laughs> I, I called right in and um, thanked him. You know, they, they put me right through. He was always just such a big fan mm. i think not just of us but really of anything that added value and beauty to the city and, mm. uh, i think that he really did think that we did that for him so so when you called in you thanked him for making sure that doc yep, was there exactly yeah. for, for getting it done as quickly as he did so that your your tenant if i may use that word in the dock is the city of providence they own my the landlord dock. The landlord, yeah, excuse uh, me. You're the tenant. Yes. Sorry. Yeah. Officially, it's the parks department. Right. Um, so that's a public park. So the parks department oversees the whole thing. Now, there are no water fires this year, correct? No. Uh, to my knowledge, they have canceled everything uh, through the summer. And, you know, this is just a personal opinion, but um, our governor just took us down from groups of 25 to groups of 15. Right. I don't see her going from 15 on August 5th to, you know, yeah. 50,000 in <laughs> yeah. the fall. I, I, I don't think it's going to happen. So it's, it's really too bad. You know, water fire is such a big part of, you know, the fabric of the city, especially the cultural and artistic uh, fabric of the city. Mm. And a big part of what we do as well, you know, it's a big part of how people get to know us and, um, you know, demand for those trips is obviously very high, only doing them a dozen times a year. Mm. You know, I'm I'm thankful that we are as busy as we are just on our own reputation because mm. that is really helping us survive right now. Um, just people coming down for the quality of the experience on a non-fire day. Mm. But it's a, it's a hit to take for us, but it's, I think, a bigger hit to take for the city. You know, it's it's such an important part of what we've done in the city for 25 years now. Right. The singing component, I wasn't expecting that. That That's a big part of it, the experience. And I also noticed looking at your website, you've got proper musicians. Uh, is that when you have more capacity? You bring the musicians along? Um, not more capacity, just um, we can't carry as many passengers. Mm-hmm. Uh, 
if they add a musician. So, but according to the rules laid out by the state, it's only eliminating one passenger. So we can take, you've probably had this discussion with other people I would imagine on the podcast, but it's twice the length of the boat and we're kind of fortunate in that aspect because the boat's <laughs> 35 feet long, you know? So uh, that's 70 feet and then you add the beam. So f about five feet and you round down if uh, necessary. So that's seven passengers, seven people on the boat. Right. So that's either six passengers, which is our capacity plus the gondolier or five passengers plus musician plus gondolier. So mm -hmm. you're only losing one passenger max for the musician trips. But yeah, I mean, in Venice, the kind of the pendulum swings back and forth for mm -hmm. singing by the gondoliers. I, right now, I think they would really prefer that you hire a singer who will sit up in the bow and, you know, sing songs the entire time, whereas the gondolier just kind of, you know, rose. But, you know, here, part of it is Italian, you know, cinema, but more, I think it's Hollywood that has made out the image of the singing gondolier. So right. kind of taking those two people, the one sitting in the bow singing and the one rowing in the back and just kind of pushing them into one person. So and when you take we're more than happy to perpetuate the stereotype. So <laughs> when you take somebody on as a as a gondolier, is that something you look for? The official party line is that you don't have to be able, just willing. <laughs> it will work with you. So there's definitely a continuum between, you know, the most talented gondolier and the least mm. talented gondolier in terms of singing. But we all bring different talents to the job. You know, some people are great working with people. You know, maybe they worked in retail or something. And so mm. they're just great interacting with people. Maybe they're not great singers, but we'll get there. Um, some of them physically are, you know, specimens, you know, and you mm. put them on a boat and they can just row all day and night and, you know, but maybe they're not great at interacting with people, you know, so we all have strengths and weaknesses that we bring to becoming a gondolier. You just kind of work on the things that need to be worked on during training and also on the job, uh, just kind of refining yourself mm. as you go along. Mm. But yeah, we have a couple of gondoliers who were music mages and they have spectacular voices you know they're going to blow us all out of the water and wow. then we have some guys who you know we have one guy who never sang until he started rowing for us at 18 i said how did you go your entire life without singing like happy birthday or something he said i just used to mouth the words <laughs> and I've heard him describe it to people on board. You know, he just said, I thought that singing was something you were either born with or you weren't. Yeah. I didn't think that I was, so I never sang. Oh, and gosh. he really is a testament to how good someone can become mm. through practice. He is a, a very good voice, and it's entirely from the last five years practicing for the gondolas. Wow. You know, he he was we're, we're talking like American Idol train wrecks here. Um, <laughs> listening to him when he started, he was that bad. But and what, we where, how do you source the songs? Uh, the few that you did for us, how where do you find them? Are those traditional? So required learning is for a new gondolier is Santa Lucia, which is a sailor's prayer. Always good for a rookie to know a prayer, just in case out there. Mm -hmm. um, 
Tanti Agori is half birthday in Italian, so that one's pretty easy to get down. And then there's a song in English called When Your Old Wedding Ring Was New. Mm. And that's a great one because we do a lot of anniversaries. Sure. So from there, I'll tell guys or girls to um, just kind of keep a love song in English in their back pocket, something that may have you know, significance to them. Maybe it was their parents' wedding song or whatever. Mm. I remember my first song on the gondolas was Can't Help Falling in Love by Elvis. Mm. So you sing that song with Santa Lucia, with, you know, we always try and send a rookie out with a, with a birthday trip because at least it gives him another song to sing, right? But from there, and I've been rolling for over 20 years, so I try and learn a song a season just for my own personal fun and enjoyment. And, um, right. Some of them are songs that I pick up on my own. A lot of them come from guests, you know, and they, they say, you know what? You should learn, uh, you should learn Wangri. Mm. That sounds like a great idea, you know? So uh, that'll be that season's project. Have you ever been upstaged by a guest? I have had guests on board that were trained singers. And that's been pretty cool for me. Mm. I've never really been upstaged. Like, no, uh, I have had some guests actually sing along with me. It doesn't happen particularly frequently. Right. But, you know, I remember having one couple uh, who are, you know, husband and wife, and he played some instrument, and she sang doing traditional Italian songs. So they knew pretty much everything that I sang. Mm. Uh, there were a couple that I could, you know, break out for them that were new, you know, just that they had something different than what they already knew. But yeah, they sang along with me on all the ones that they knew, which is pretty cool. Great. Yeah. What's the best way for someone to interact with you or to, to contact you for a, a ride? Is it your website? Yep. So you can either book right online at gondolari.com or uh, call the office 401. 401- Four two one eight eight seven seven is the office number. That's obviously also on the website too. Mm-hmm. The office is staffed by a delightful young woman. Um, Forty hours a week, Tuesday to Saturday, nine to five. Erica is just awesome. She's my wife used to babysit her actually. Oh right. Fun times. So yeah. So two of them have known each other for a gazillion years. But um, yeah, she's great to me. She is a big part of the whole experience. You know, it's it's so nice reading reviews where people talk about how the whole experience, it seemed like we were very mindful of them and mm. accommodating and, you know, provide good customer service and things like that. And a lot of that has to do with Erica. You know, she's kind of the voice of the company 40 hours a week. Brilliant. Well, I appreciate yeah. you taking the time to chat with me this morning. Pleasure's mine. Thank you very much. I really appreciate it. You've been great and you know, great to see you again. And hope people see you out of the water. Thank you for listening to Standing Before the Mass podcast with Chris Heaton. Sponsored by Newport Nautical Supply. Please like and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.